Hello Christchurch and welcome to our second episode of Deeper and I'm joined today by Simon and Emily. Hello everyone. Hi. It's good to have you with us guys. So we're going to talk about Nehemiah 5 uh, which I preached on the first half of uh, on Sunday and you can watch that on our YouTube channel uh, or it's also on our podcast. Um, but today we're just going to go a little bit deeper with it and also cover the rest of the chapter. Uh, and if you saw last week's deeper, you'll know that we go deeper, wider and further. So we go deeper into the passage, wider into application and further into some questions for you to consider throughout the week. So we're just going to get into this. So you guys have obviously watched the sermon uh, and obviously done lots and lots of research on this. Uh, any thoughts on, on the passage that I preached on, which is verses 1 to 13, wasn't it? So. Uh, anything that you saw that I didn't touch on or that you thought was important that you just want to bring up? Simon. <laughs> I was being a gentleman, Steve, and allowing the lady first. But I'll, That's I'll, a novelty from you, so go on. <laughs> I think the, the biggest thing that struck me yesterday as you were preaching was this threefold pray, reflects, and then responds. And as much as we don't see Nehemiah specifically praying, you know, the verses doesn't say, oh, Nehemiah got down on his knees and prayed. We know from the previous chapters that he is a prayerful person. I mean, it's, it, the whole of first chapter of Nehemiah is basically a prayer. So we know that he is praying for his people, that he is amongst, that are working alongside him, are with him, and so on. So clearly he's praying for them and they then come to him with their needs, their complaints, what's going on. And obviously you preached on that yesterday. You touched on this yesterday, of course, but verse seven, I pondered them in my mind. You know, so Nehemiah is praying. He's a prayerful person. We know that he is then reflecting on what the people are saying to him, how that really stirs him. What's God saying to him as he's reflecting? And then what does he do? He responds. And I think the thing that, that I got most definitely was verse 12. Um, you know, ever realistic Nehemiah, he makes sure they take an oath that they're going to they're gonna do this. They're going to stop the interests. They're going to make sure that they actually do what they say they're going to do. Um, so not only is he prayerful, he's reflecting, and then he makes sure that response is there. I think they were, they were the big things for me from yesterday. That's right. And we, we've seen it a few times now where he takes the time to, to go and look around, to check things out, to get the facts. He never seems to simply react. No. You know, and yeah, I think that's something for us all to, to reflect on, isn't it? How about you, Emily? Anything that you saw? Um, yeah, I think it's about um, how he does, like, he hears it, like you've just said, and then, like, he's actually seeing whether it's true first because like we can all maybe a little bit exaggerate um but he wants to know that what he is reacting upon and what he is going to push forward on is true um so i think that is something that we can really learn about and that what we need to do is kind of research a little bit beforehand um 
but the whole acting upon it, like Simon says, like he does do it very official, doesn't he? It's not just like, yeah, we'll do it. It's like, let's get in front of lots of people, get someone to sign a piece of paper and make sure that it's done um, officially so that it will actually happen. Um, So I think that is the case. Like when he acts upon it, he really does do it properly um, rather than just on a whim. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't think I touched on that in the sermon, but uh, it's all done in public. Yes. Yeah, now there's everyone together. Uh, it's all transparent. Uh, and maybe some of that was about shaming the rich and the nobles, you know, in front of everyone. Maybe there's a little bit of coercion there, but um, it's all done up front. And, you know, uh, I mean, there's, I mean, something happened just today where I heard someone has misquoted me to suit their own ends, you know, and it happens all the time. And people say things in order to push their own agenda. And uh, that, we have to be careful with that. And Nehemiah always is, isn't he? He seems to just do, he's just straight. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's what makes him so uh, likable, I think, in this. He is just straight. He doesn't mess around. There's no hidden agenda. He just puts it all out in the open. Before we go on to the uh, the second half that I didn't touch on, anything else that you just want to bring out? Verse 13 for me, Steve, at the end, where he says, at this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. You know, Nehemiah said a massive thing they need to do. You know, they, they should have been doing it anyway. What is it? Leviticus 25, uh, 38, 35 to 38, specifically says, don't lend interest. You know, so they should have been doing it anyway. They have been doing that. They have been charging interest. He's then saying to them, no, go back to the law. You shouldn't be doing that. And so people are going to be losing money because of the interest. Nehemiah puts it right. And then what's the first thing they do after they sign the oath, after they make it all official, they worship. Yeah. This is an offering, you know, giving of ourselves, giving of our time, giving of our money is an offering. And it's an offering up to God. So I don't know whether you touched particularly on that sort of worship side yesterday, but I think that's so important for us to note that there was worship involved in the sacrifice. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Okay, I let's think, move on to the second. Oh, go on. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think in that verse, like just the word amen said by them all you know because we kind of think in prayer it's like oh finally they've finally finished praying and not understanding what amen means like they're all saying i totally agree with what you're saying i'm totally on board um and then they actually did what they promised to do so not only did they say i agree with it it's like actually i'm gonna do it as well so that's the thing in that verse that really stood out to me Mm. which is a great segue into the second half of the chapter because uh, not only did the people do what they said, but Nehemiah does it as well, doesn't he? You know, and that's what we see in this kind of second half of the chapter, which I, I personally as a leader find very challenging because this is all about really good leadership, isn't it? Yeah. Um, anything that you guys want to just start to bring out to that second half of the passage from 14 to 19? <laughs> Nehemiah has opportunities, doesn't he? He has real opportunities, uh, and I think as leaders, leaders can have opportunity to 
to have real privilege, to have uh, extravagance, to be in a position of um, influence and power. And as much as Nehemiah is all those things and in all those things, he is responsible in it. And he doesn't abuse what could be. So, you know, he, he could be sitting at King Artaxerxes' table, relishing all the food, relishing all the, the goodness of the lands. And he's, and he's just saying, no, actually, that, that's, that's not what's happening here. You know, I am not going to abuse what I could have because of what's happening to my people. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it, it comes out in lots of different ways there, doesn't it? You know, he, so he, he doesn't get the food that he's entitled to. Yeah. It uh, says that the other governors before him charged extra taxes that yeah. they, uh, they would take personally. None of his friends or servants took extra than they should do. In fact, they all provided their own food. It's, um, it's, it's almost like all the nobles and rich people were going one way, and he said, right, I'm going to live in a completely opposite spirit. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's actually a real spiritual lesson, I think, there for us that, you know, when we see where something is wrong within an organization or a, a community, if we see it's wrong, then we need to live in the opposite spirit. Mm. Um, you know, so like everyone knows, for instance, like, I like whiskey. You know, I, I, I'm, it's not hit, uh, something I hide. But in my previous church, when I joined, there was an incredible drinking culture that I needed to oppose. I mean, people were just getting absolutely smashed uh, after services. and I was, So I stopped drinking completely for about five years and just prayed into that. Uh, and we saw that kind of culture shift dramatically. Uh, it's about, you know, sometimes in spiritual warfare, you have to take the opposite spirit. Yeah. And I think... Uh, I think Nehemiah does something here. He leads the way by example, but I think it's also a spiritual battle that he's involved in. Which I think is very powerful. Yeah. How about you, Emily? What do you see in there? Um, the thing that I see is, um, we've already hit on it, but like in verse 18, it says, I did not demand the food allowance. Like He knows he's actually in a position of leadership. He's fully aware of that. Mm. And... You know, he could be in the green room, you know, saying, I only want the blue, uh, you know, um, M&Ms. That's all I want. But yeah, he, he wants to be equal with everyone. Like, but he knows that he has that authority to demand that, but he doesn't use that or abuse it mm-hmm. and goes the opposite way to what everyone else is saying. Yeah. And I think, you know, that... Uh, there's something about authority, isn't it? Because mm. when he arrived at Jerusalem, he wasn't the governor. And he led by influence and leadership and vision. Uh, and now he has position to go along with that leadership. He's not going to abuse that position. All his authority didn't come from his position. It came from who he was and the vision that he had. And I think when we, we people get caught up with leadership as position, I want a title. I want a really flashy title. But um, leadership is all about character and vision and influence. It's not about position at all. And so some of the best leaders anywhere are people who might have no position. Yeah. They're the ones who made the biggest difference. And Nehemiah certainly, he steps into something here, gets promoted to being governor. But that, that almost is circumstantial. He doesn't need that. He is already leading his people. 
And uh, I, I just love that about Nehemiah. He doesn't need position. He just has vision. Mm. Anything I think else? Because of the he, sorry, Steve. Because of no. the sacrifice, in essence, because the food could have been allotted to him. He could have lived this lavish lifestyle because of the sacrifice of not taking it. Verse 18, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on yeah. these people. So by not requiring that for himself, for his own gain, for his own belly in this case, and that kind of status of look what I can do, look what I can host to those powerful, important people of the land. The people, even though they are struggling, as we've just seen in the first half of chapter five, the people are not having to give that to him. So mm. therefore, he is alleviating some of that for his people by his own sacrifice. And again, like links to worship, doesn't it? There is a cost of sacrifice. There is a cost of giving, but we should worship into that. But we should also be thankful and praise god for the fact that because we sacrifice because we give up of ourselves for others others can be lifted up others mm. can benefit and so on yeah yeah and all when it describes how he fed was it was 150 people yes uh, every day that was out of his own pocket yeah yeah not out of what he could have got out of taxes and things um so he he, he lived a life of real generosity yeah, and ensured that people saw, you know, were seeing that uh, his life came out of his relationship with, with God as well. Because he says there, doesn't he, at some point uh, in verse 15, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Yeah. yeah. It all comes out of his love for God. And that's, and that's 100% his motive, isn't it? His, yeah. His love yeah. for God and his love for his people. Yeah. And isn't that, isn't that what Jesus commands us to be? Yeah. Love God and love our neighbour. Yeah. So, come on, Nehemiah. That's it. <laughs> That's right. And uh, just finally, in verse sixteen, before we get into um, going wider with this, uh, the thing he did devote himself to was just the work of the, on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he didn't devote himself to lavish lifestyles or anything like that. But the vision. Let's get the job done. Let's make Jerusalem secure. Um, anything else was just superfluous to him, it was just unnecessary. So let's spend a, a few moments just going wide with this and think about what do we uh, learn from this that we should apply to our lives. Okay, so let's think about what this means for us today, uh, thousands of years later here in Southport. Uh, what does it mean for you guys? Who wants to go first? Um, I'll go first. I think it's about like looking at the land that we have been planted in and that is for us Southport and um, praying into um, the issues that are happening in Southport a lot that people don't know and so in that doing what Nehemiah did and finding out the facts and then once finding out the facts actually we can't sit on it and not do anything about it. Yeah. Um, I remember like when I told um, a school that I was working in before I came to Christchurch, and I said, oh, I'm coming to Southport, and they were like, you do know that that is the highest rate for child sexual exploitation in Sefton. And I was like, I did not know that. Um, 
and looked at the facts and that's true but I'm having to myself ponder upon actually how can we as a church have a voice within that area Mm. um which is so so difficult um and like you said Steve on Sunday with the rates of deprivation it being like five percent like you wouldn't think of that but when I walk around the corner and the church on the corner has a massive massive line for food bank you know your heart absolutely breaks and you you don't see these things but it's when you are walking around that's when you can see the facts um and i think particularly like um with the asylum seekers in scaresbrick um that is a fact that's across the road um and actually that's something that we need to pray into but also we're already acting upon it but what can we do more so as a church to act upon it it's easy to walk around just just see what you always see mm-hmm. and not see the things that you may have missed for years that actually indicate where there's real issues and deprivation or problems um because they're rife in Southport. Mm. Yeah, absolutely rife. How about you, Simon? I was going to say a very similar thing to Emily in the sense of those three words that, that have just sort of stayed as a refrain in my mind since yesterday, pray, reflect and respond. But if I, if I touch more on the latter one, respond, I think for me it is what sacrifices are we as a church, both collectively, but also as individuals, going to make in our own lives so that those who are truly in need are not any longer in need? They are raised up and they are given the provisions that they need. Very practically, food on the table, a roof over their head and wider afield. Um, I said this in the live stream yesterday. It just made me think of Acts 2. Everybody living communally, no one went without because everybody just looked after each other and there was this community sense about it. And that would have meant in Acts, as it would have done here for Nehemiah, that those who were wealthy, both materially, but also with time and different giftings and skills, would have had to give of those, sacrifice themselves in that way, so that those who don't have that provision, don't have those skills, need that time, would therefore be raised up so that the kind of the level playing field sort of you know evens itself out. Mm. So I think in our response, it is how are we going to sacrifice personally as a church to see the wider community of Southport you know, released out of poverty? And that's such a, I mean, that, that, that can't be answered today. But we, what we have to do is we have to pray, wait on God and reflect on that and what he says and then respond in that challenge. Exactly. I think something, I was talking about this with someone before and we were like, what can we, how can we help the asylum seekers? And I was like, oh, we think that we need to be like experts in like housing associations and stuff like that. But actually... One of the things that I was really involved in in previous job was when lots of asylum seekers came to Bootle, 
was schools just wanted people to come in and have conversation with the kids because that's how they learnt the language. So if someone can have a cup of tea and have a chat, then actually you are helping someone not just um, with learning the language, so therefore helping within their education, helping them get a job in learning that language, but also that sense of community mm. as well, going, actually, this person's willing to take out time to have a cup of tea with me. And I think that in itself, if we're going, I don't know what to do, the first place to start is put the kettle on. Yeah, yeah. And a lot, it's a lot of, uh, quite often, it's lots of little simple things that can make a huge difference. You know, we don't have to do the big thing. It can be little things. I think the thing is that in terms of application for me to stand down relates to both the things that you've said is um, how we need to check ourselves and make sure that we haven't got any sense of entitlement. Yeah. You know, so Nehemiah was entitled to tax his people, was entitled to have lots of good food, was entitled to make the most of being a governor and all the trappings with it, but chose not to. Uh, and all too often, and I think, you know, there is a sense of entitlement around uh, in our society right now. Let's uh, spend a few moments just thinking about some questions for people to, to reflect on over these next few days. Okay, so uh, Simon, you got a, a question for people to reflect on over these next few days? Yeah, I think, again, it's this refrain, this pray, reflect, respond. So... How are you praying? How are you praying around what's going on in our town? Um, but how are you reflecting on that? You know, how are you seeing what is happening? Are you just listening to other stories that people are telling you? Or are you going out and really seeing the needs, uh, talking to people and reflecting on their responses in a prayerful way? And then lastly, you know, how are you responding very actively to those things that you've prayed into and that you've reflected upon? So that was not a succinct question, Steve, but it a kind of <laughs> overarching uh, pray, reflect, respond question. Great. Thank you, Simon. How about you, Emily? Um, I think for me, it's thinking about everyone is welcome at the table. And um, if everyone's welcome, that means that actually we need to look after everyone. Because uh, there'll be a time in which we need to be looked after. But everyone at the table has different gifts. And um, it's about going, actually, okay, I've prayed about it. I've thought about it. But actually, what gifts do I have that I can help with the people that are around the table? And that could be that you are a financial advisor and you'd be able to help with like debt advice or, or anything like that. Um, but actually, if you're a really good listener, then use that skill. Like God gives each and every one of us different skills and it doesn't mean that one's better than the other. Like um, Nehemiah, he's just a guy that is equal to everyone. And that's what he sees. Um, himself as so it's like actually what gift do you have that you can help other people with it's mm, good i think for me I, I mean a couple of questions really around um 
our response to poverty. You know, so Nehemiah was was angry when he heard what was going on. Um, and I, the question is really, what stirs you? Mm-hmm. As you hear about the issues, particularly in Southport, and the you know, major issues, there's issues around poverty, there's issues around mental health, issues around addiction, um, issues around uh, lack of work and those kind of things. So what stirs you? And if, if something is stirring in you, what are you going to do about it? Uh, Bill Hybels calls that a holy discontent. And it's like God uses that to stir us into action. So if you feel stirred about something, the question is, what will you do about it? Um, and I think the, the other question is far more internal, much more around, if, where is there any sense of entitlement within you? You know, either that's around church or around how you live your life or uh, maybe at work, you know, it could be in any kind of way. But where's the sense of entitlement where you think you deserve things, uh, maybe at the cost of others? And uh, just check that, repent of that uh, and move on and choose to live life in a different way like Nehemiah did. Um, I think we all can do that at different points, you know, all, all the time. We need to just be doing little kind of uh, checks on ourselves about certain things. And a sense of entitlement, I think, is a big one because it's, it's a bit sneaky. We don't always know that it's there. So uh, I'd encourage people just to check on that. Okay, guys, thank you for your time and uh, thank you for this conversation. I hope everyone at home, you've enjoyed this and uh, join us next week for our next edition where we'll be looking at Nehemiah chapter 6. See you then.